Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. About 3,000, man. We actually are going to have a series within a series, within a series actually for the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about the ramifications of that last verse. 3,000 were added. We're going to underline that word added a little bit tonight and then flesh it out a little bit next week. And I'm going to have some help from Britt Bowerjack next week. So hopefully you will come and hear all of that. We are in the middle of a sermon series that is entitled Strangers in a Strange Land. Now, in this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take some fairly common, fairly well-known science fiction movies or TV series episodes or storylines, and, and with these, we're trying to shed some new light on some of these passages of Scripture. And we launched this, if you'll remember, on Easter Sunday, and a very nice man came to me after the service on Sunday morning and says, Pastor, I think this is going to be really interesting, but I'm super glad you didn't use a Star Wars reference. I'd like to talk to you about Star Wars tonight, if I could. <laughs> so, um, pretty, pretty, pretty big storyline, you know, this whole Star Wars thing. And, and actually, um, I'm going to play you a clip, which is the last clip of the movie The Force Awakens. But I want to tell you something I want you to look for, okay? And actually, John, before the end of the uh, clip, I'll probably, I, I'm, I'm going to want you to pause it toward the end of the clip, and I'll kind of give you a high sign, and we're going we're gonna to leave it there for a second and then talk about it. But here's what I want you to look for. Look for the moment of recognition. Look for the moment when, I'll give you some names, when Ray, uh-huh, mm-hmm, look for the moment when Ray recognizes who it is that she is now dealing with. Okay, everybody with me so far? Welcome to church at OKC First. Let's take a look. important moment in movie history. For the hope of seeing Luke Skywalker, a lot of us dressed up and went to this movie, right? Didn't most of us dress up and go see this movie? Okay, well, a lot, I didn't either. <laughs> 
Kelly did. I did not. But for the hope of seeing this familiar Luke Skywalker character, I mean, we heard rumor of it, heard rumor of it. A lot of people, a lot of folks. This is one of the highest grossing movies of all time. A lot of people, because they were familiar with the storyline and could, could, could hear this name, Luke Skywalker, heard the rumor of his being around in this movie that was enough to get us to the theater. And then there's this moment. You think the next movie won't be pretty well sold out? I mean, this moment right here is an incredibly important moment, and not just within the storyline. It is. It's a very important moment within the storyline, right? It's a very important moment within the storyline because if you have this Luke Skywalker character, you have a movement. Without him, you don't have the kind of movement that you have with him, but you have him. And not only do you have this Luke Skywalker, you have people who are in full recognition of what this all means, Ray. And so, in the moment of her recognition, she responds. She responds. But this moment is really, is so big, it actually pierces the fourth wall. The fourth wall is the one that exists between you and your real life and all of this and the fake life that's up here. So you're play acting up here, it's real out here, but this moment is so big, it's gonna control what you do over the next several months. Like I said, you're probably gonna buy a ticket. If that had been a terrible, terrible movie and there hadn't been a Luke Skywalker, if it had been a mockery, a lot of us wouldn't have bought the next ticket, but that was a pretty good moment. And because that guy is who that guy is, and by that I mean Luke Skywalker, I don't even know what the other guy's name is, the guy playing him. But because that's Luke Skywalker, it reaches into our world, and in the real world, this means lots of dollars in marketing. It's going, to be, it's going to be an incredible ad campaign, and you and I, or at least many of us, are going to go, and some people are going to dress up like Jason. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because recognition, recognition always requires response of some kind. Where you have recognition, you have response. We're gonna end up getting to the uh, book of Acts, Acts chapter two, but we're actually going to start with Luke 24. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, a very familiar story. This is the road to Emmaus story, and I'm going to tell some of it. I'm going to read some of it. I'm going to tell most of it. I'm going to read just a little bit of it. But here's how this story goes. A resurrected Jesus is walking around just messing with people now. <laughs> He's just walking around, and he is on this seven-mile trip, seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. And while they were discussing, Jesus walks up alongside a couple of folks who were discussing all that they had seen in Jerusalem and some of the stuff that they had heard about. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They did not recognize him. And so, he said to them, what are you discussing with each other as you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them whose name was Cleopas, answered him, where have you been? Have you not heard about all that has gone on? Have you not, are you the only one that doesn't know the things that have taken place in Jerusalem? And Jesus, again, messing with them, says, like what? The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, which means they didn't completely recognize him. 
He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified, but we had hoped that he was the one. But we had hoped. Maybe this is part of the reason they didn't recognize him. They had a vision. They had an expectation. Here's what the Messiah is going to look like. This is what the Christ is going to look like. And this Jesus of Nazareth character, we had high hopes, but ultimately doesn't look right. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us what they, that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Now, they are retelling the story, but you don't get the sense as you read that they are actually deeply convicted that it's really good news. You don't yet get the sense that they have now kind of turned the page, turned the corner, now they believe that this was, they still don't believe. They still don't get it. Then he said to them, <laughs> this, is, this is, must have been hard for Jesus to say, to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And man, and one of the more powerful verses in scripture, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Now they still don't see him for who he is. But what Jesus has just done, hear this. Somebody got to me a while back and said, Pastor, it seems like you are plugging disciple every week. And, and this guy said, and I'm kind of tired of it. <clears throat> He's going to be really tired of it <laughs> after this. Here's what Jesus had given them in that moment. Jesus directed their eyes to the sky full of stars each star representing a verse or a passage of scripture. And what Jesus had done for them was draw all of those stars together in a constellation that gave them the right picture. Does that make sense? You, you know, right, that two people can look at a nighttime full of stars and one can see constellations and the other can see stars. But one with training and help and insight and perspective can draw those stars together and show you a picture. And Jesus drew all of the stars together, all of these texts, all of these passages, and says, now take a look at that picture, and here's what you see. You see that, in fact, we said this last week, God is up to something, and that something, that something can be most clearly seen in the Messiah, the Christ and all that you've just seen. Well, curiosity was piqued. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead, he's still messing with them. I love this. He walked ahead as if he were going on. He's toying with them now. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. See if this sounds familiar. He took bread, 
blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Oh, and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? This, this Jesus had drawn all the stars together for them so that they could plainly and clearly see that sure enough, God is up to something and whatever it is that this God is up to can be seen in what we're gonna call the Christ event, but even then, they didn't recognize this traveler until he took the bread, blessed it, and he broke it. Bread redefined, Passover bread now redefined in the person of Christ, and then their eyes were opened, and then, everybody, they responded. Now, I, I wanna read you their response, and I think a lot of us are, are familiar with their response initially, but what happens after this is maybe new to a lot of us. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11. And their companions gathered together. The 11 were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then these two told what, they had, what had happened on the road and how he had been made note to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, verse 36. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Not surprisingly, they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. It struck me as I was reading through this. The disciples thought that they had somehow lapsed into science fiction and Jesus himself had to bring them back and say, no, 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 this is real. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet and see that it is I myself. Touch me and see, last week's theme. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, I'm hungry. Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, these, he's going to do it again, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses to these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised, so stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now we said this last week, there probably was a time when the Bible was situated such that the books of Luke and Acts were right next door to one another. Right now, we've got John kind of thrust in there in between. It's too bad, too, because Luke and Acts belong together. And, and if you really needed any more evidence, here it is. Because that story, it, it's almost verbatim in the passage of Scripture that we heard read today. 
These same kinds of things are going to be said. The same phraseology appears in Acts chapter 2. Before we go to that, hear me say this. Recognition requires response. Recognition requires response. Do you recognize, do you recognize the resurrected Christ? If so, there will be a response. We're Wesleyans. I'm a Wesleyan. I am doing my best to teach and preach us all to the point where we are all Wesleyans. Here's what that means. Yes, God's mind about you is made up, and the news is right. You still have stuff to do, though. God's mind is made up. How God feels about you is not going to change. But there is still work for you and for me to do. There's still work for us to do. We must respond to the grace that is ours, the free grace that is ours. We have been handed this incredible gift of grace, this incredible gift of grace handed to us cannot be undone. God has decided what God wants to give to us. At some point, though, we have to choose to receive it. God will not force God's self on you. God will not force you into a Christian posture. God will provide everything you need to take up a Christian posture. But God will not force you into it. At some point, this help that God extends to you, you have to reach out and take. You do. You do. I mean, it's, it's kind of a life thing. I've got physicians in the room. The doctor is saying, oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Here is a prescription. There you go. The prescription in your hand does not in and of itself cure you. You will need to go get it filled. You have a broken leg. The doctor says, you know what? You are going to be able to run in the marathon next year. All 26.2 miles. That's ridiculous, by the way. 26.2 miles. But you're going to be able to do it next year. Whew. You have to rehab. The gift is yours. The gift is yours. The, the gift of life, the gift of grace, the offer of forgiveness, all of this is yours, and it will not change. God's posture toward you will never change. All of this is yours. Now, what will you do with this gift? Now, let's move to Acts chapter 2. Same speech that we were in last week. Let the entire house of Israel, this is now Peter, hollering at all the people who have gathered there in Jerusalem. Let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Whew. That's, that's tough. That's a tough accusation. But after all, the cross is not a measure of how angry God gets when we make mistakes. 
cross as a measure of how far love will go to make love's point. And so grace and forgiveness were available even to those who perhaps had a hand in Christ's crucifixion. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, well, you do have stuff you need to do, people. It's what I just said to you. You do have something that you need to do. Yes, the gift is yours for the taking. Now it's your turn to take it. And here is what you do. Repent. You've heard this before. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard it a thousand times. Repent, which really means turn, reorient, turn, realign. Turn toward the God who has already turned toward you. Turn toward this God and receive forgiveness. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everybody, listen to this. Salvation, in our tradition, and I would submit salvation, as it is explored in the books of Luke and Acts and so many others. Salvation is not that one-time decision, that moment when you raise your hand and feel like that you have finally taken care of the eternal ramifications for your being sinful, not just before, but all the time. Salvation is more than that. What Simon Peter seems to be saying to these people who now recognize, to their shame, these people who now recognize and are expressing their guilt, they were cut to the heart. They now recognize their culpability. What should we do? And Simon Peter is not easy on them. He says, well, you need to be different. Hey, listen, you have this grace it was not cheap. It was costly. And it deserves your response. God's mind about you is still made up, and the news is still really good. That's never going to change. The question is not whether or not God will change God's mind about you. The question is whether or not you will actually take God up on the offer of new life, which at some level includes your will and your decision-making and your capacity to, re or to turn, to repent and say, not this, but this. Not this, but this. To align yourself with the movement, the people of God. Not just that you will always know where you're supposed to be on Sunday mornings at 1030. I hope you're always here, except for tomorrow. I hope you're out there. It's not just so they'll know where you are on Sundays, not just so you'll be a churchgoer, but so that your life will be aligned with the life of God, now best demonstrated in the life of Christ. And be forgiven. Here is the thing about forgiveness. It works best when it is received. 
Now God forgives. And the work that God does when God forgives, it's a lot of work and more work than you'll have to do in the process of receiving it. But if and when you do receive it, that's when you come face to face with newness, freshness, clean slate, start again, this time enjoying the companionship of God himself. It's interesting to me as I read through these passages of scripture that it seemed like first Christ and then Peter had to plead with people to receive forgiveness. Allow yourselves to be forgiven, these voices seem to say. Be forgiven. Be forgiven. Forgiveness, if you are new to faith, just hang with me for a minute. I need to talk to the folks who have grown up in the church. I think forgiveness is tough for us. Because to drink deeply of forgiveness is to own our sin and brokenness. In the Word and Table service, Dr. Tasha got me in real trouble not too long ago. Let me tell you how. In the Word and Table service, every Sunday, Dr. Tashian says right out loud, in the name of Christ, you are forgiven. He says that every week in the Word and Table service. I loved it. I brought it in here. <laughs> and I got, up, I got up a couple times, a couple weeks in a row and said, in the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Somebody wrote me a hot note and said, who are you to forgive us? Whoa. I think it's hard for religious folks to receive forgiveness. Folks who have spent a lot of time and energy not being wrong, not being broken. Those folks are going to push back when you offer them forgiveness. Here's the problem with that. There is grace that is an essential part of life lived in the light of the resurrection. There is grace for you, a stunning sort of non-scorekeeping, amazing kind of grace that is available to you if you will accept it. And a part of accepting it is allowing God to know you fully, to know you thoroughly, to know you deeply, to know all that there is to know about you, and still choose you and forgive all of it. And then, even religious people can have a new life. Even religious people. I think that's when explosive growth happens, where the movement is concerned, where churches are concerned. What if people actually knew that there was forgiveness and new start and new life available to them where the people of God gather? What if? I want you to think about this. What if people actually and deeply believed that when the people of God gather and they tell the stories and they sing the songs and they break the bread and they recognize the Christ, this one, 
What if people actually believed that there, in those moments and in those places, there was absolute new life, fresh start available, complete with companionship, and just bathed in grace? Well, how many times do you want to meet and fill this place? Here's how we're going to close. As a person forgiven, and as a person trusted by the church to break the bread, to study, to baptize, to dedicate, as that same person, I also get to say to you in the name of the risen Christ, a new day is available to you, and you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And I hope that every time we gather, and if you're going to help us, if you could help set the table for us, and I hope every time we gather around this table, I hope every time you come forward with your hands cupped, every time you come close enough to hear that the person holding the bread is going to have to snap a piece off. I hope every time you hear that little noise of a piece of bread being broken, I hope every time you have something of the experience that Cleopas and the companion had on the road that day, I hope every time that bread is broken, there is something in you that recognizes the Christ. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bless these elements, Lord. And as this bread is broken, may we also have one of those moments, one of those moments in which we recognize a Christ where we could not see him before. God, today, may the people of God, good people gathered on a rainy Saturday in preparation for a hard day tomorrow, May the people of God know freshness and newness and new life because of the resurrection of Christ. May they receive forgiveness that is available to us in tangible sorts of ways every week. Yes, it's broken body and it's shed blood. It is a marker of our participation and our culpability where the breaking and the shedding of blood is concerned. But at the same time, Lord, may we understand these to be moments of forgiveness. Each week, Lord, may we be reminded that we are amongst the forgiven. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and to come forward. Somebody in front of you will be holding a tray of bread as you approach these people holding the bread, if you will have your hands cupped ready to receive this gift of grace, very important that you understand it to be a gift and grace. Someone will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then I hope you'll find a place to pray. 
All of you are welcome at this table. All of you who understand your need for grace are welcome at this table. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. There is a bowl full of water here meant to help you to remember the moment of your baptism when you said right out loud, I will be aligned with the movement. I will be aligned with the people of God, the body of Christ. I will live according to those expectations and definitions of success. And if you need a reminder, the water is here to remind you. Just dip your fingers in long enough to jog your memory of the moment of your baptism. You can dry them off on the towel. And then find a place to pray. At these side padded altars, we'll assume you need a prayer for healing, and we will come and meet you there for that prayer. Or anywhere else, if you pray at one of these front kneeling benches, we will assume nothing. But we'll come and pray with you. Put a hand on your back, your head, your shoulder, your neck, just so you know that you are not alone. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body now broken for you. And every time you do this, remember me. In the same way, after dinner, he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. All across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
God prepare us for these moments of recognition. We would like nothing more than to see you. To be shocked, to be surprised. and imaginations for those moments of recognition. And God, may we build the capacity to respond appropriately. Yes, with a first decision, but then God, with a series of decisions to surround and support that first one. In fact, God, may we find the capacity, find the strength, the stamina, to decide so many times that it ends up being a change in the style of life. Perhaps ends up being a change in the posture of life. May we decide in full recognition of who you are, what you've done, may we decide so many times that we would allow you to change the definitions of some of the most important words in life. God, may we be that place May we be that church so ready to see you, so ready to hear you, so ready to recognize you, that we would drink deeply of the gifts that you offer, the grace and the forgiveness. May we reach out and take that which you have extended to us. And then, God, may we be the kind of place gathers on a Sunday so that we can be the church scattered on a Sunday when the entire city gathers to remember and memorialize those who were lost a very painful day so many years ago. Shape us, God, so that we can be the bread taken, blessed, broken, and forgiven. May we be the reason Folks, finally recognize you for who you are as we are broken and given in service to all the world. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. In these moments of intercession, would you tune your hearts to pray for those who need a significant healing touch from God? Pastor John just led us in a prayer that we might be taken, blessed, and broken and given for our city and especially in response to that tragedy back in 1995. So in these moments in intercession, would you pray for those who this marathon is difficult and that anniversary is difficult because of the loss that they've experienced in their life. Many of you, as Oklahomans, know someone who is directly impacted by that. And if you don't, spend these moments praying for Granny, who lost her grandson, Dominic, whose bib number tomorrow is 100. Would you pray for her and for those lives now? I want to say some specific prayers and have you pray for those, as I mentioned their names, like LaDonna Bennett, Lynn Caprero, God, you would continue to come alongside Debbie McKenzie. Heal her. 
be with Betty Rice as she's away with family for a few weeks. James Shea as he's in Idaho. Ask God that you would heal, stand taller. And you'd be with some of our homebound folks like Jerry Bell and Jim Harmon. Lord, we are grateful for the way you are knitting us together as a body of believers. Lord, we ask you would take care of us as we take care of one another. As we close in prayer, before we get a chance to do the Lord's Prayer, go ahead and open your eyes, church. If you are running or walking tomorrow, especially in the 5K or the kids' marathon, if you're going to run in a relay or a half, would you stand? As you see people around you, would you, church, whisper prayers for them? If you're close by, you can put a hand on them or shake their hand or get a chance to pray. Would you just look, feel free, church, to look around and pray for those who are going to be in those moments. And then those standing in all of us, would you pray for those who are going to be out, maybe since sometimes a more difficult job, encouraging those along the route in this cold day, would you pray for those who will be there cheering and praying and gathering people along? You may be seated. And God, would you shape all of us into the very image of your son who taught his disciples to pray this prayer. Church, together we're gonna pray using debts and debtors and the words will be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.